This is episode 4-4 of Free as in Freedom. Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Coon. This is Free as in Freedom. Again. Uh, so should I do that thing? <laughs> that, that Jimmy Fallon thing? Yeah. And we're back. All right. Well, it, it, <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty difficult. There was some problems. Problems? We had problems. We had problems. <laughs> we I think did. we see the world differently. <laughs> well, well, we had, well, there were, there were various issues. So, um, oh, we did have some problems. The thing That's I've true. been telling people, the thing I've been telling people is if you look at the last date we released, an odd cast before this. That was around the date when I started trying to convince you to that is come correct. work for Conservancy. So every conversation we had was about you so, coming okay. to work so, for Conservancy. So let's back up just a little bit for Why? our listeners, because uh, I, I, as much as I would like to think that every listener um, is closely following our, um, you know, our every move. Uh, something has changed since our last um, our last odd cast, and now. Um, I am also working at the Software Freedom Conservancy, so correct. Um, and we'll so link... that is the news, which is exciting. So I'm no longer executive director of the GNOME Foundation, and which they're... was very hard and difficult um, move because I, um, you know, as everyone who listens knows, I I love GNOME, and still do. And so I'm continuing as a volunteer, and um, I uh, have announced my candidacy for uh, the board. Actually, I need to officially do that because the um, the official call for uh, for self nomination has opened. So the <laughs> announcement about this is on Conservancy's website, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, the job that Karen has is, or was, my job. Uh, <laughs> so, so Bradley's been convincing me to come take his job for months. Correct. <laughs> well, for more, more from since basically last September. So for that's a long when time. last time we had yeah. uh, an podcast. He, he's a very persuasive person. I didn't think so, but um, that's one of the reasons I need Karen is because I'm not persuasive enough with this fundraising stuff, and she's better at that than me, so she's in charge of, among many other things, fundraising at Conservancy. Well, I'm excited because we have complementary strengths. I agree with that. So uh, my role is uh, still president, uh, and I'm also still on the board of directors of Conservancy, but my regular day job-related role is called Distinguished Technologist. Uh, I'm still going to be working on GPL enforcement, but the main thing that we were trying to get in my time was release time in my schedule so that I could focus on the nonprofit accounting software project, uh, which we never hit our fundraising target for, uh, but there was enough funds raised that we could basically cover part-time of my work for at least a year uh, to work on it. And hopefully if I make some progress <laughs> off soon, <laughs> um, we'll be able to raise more funds for that. And it'll be a basically a major program of conservancy going it's forward. It's really important. I mean, I, I just think that free software and the nonprofit world in general really needs this. So, you know, I, I think it's one of the most important things that conservancy is doing. Well, that's good to hear since uh, it's kind of the main thing that I'm doing. <laughs> um, and I'm still working. Well, we wouldn't have organized this any other way if it, were, if it were different. Yeah. And I'm still the primary on GPL enforcement because that's always been my thing that I'm really into. So I am still, and Karen's well, basically in charge of everything else. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's important for Conservancy and truth be told, our, our projects are, are, you know, are asking us to do it. Yeah. And, and we're getting so much 
pressure from the community on it. Anyway, this is all for probably for another whole yeah, episode. About, about what Conservancy is yeah. up to. So, uh, so we, we, so the other problem we had, we, we should just walk through, but so this that whole segment is, this is like, an, be, I'm, I'm sorry. It's well, and it's going to walk through oh. all the reasons, all the things that happened that caused us not to be on the air or on the RSS feed, I guess more appropriately said, uh, for so long. So the other problem we had was that we gave up, uh, the green desk space that I've talked about on the oddcast before, which was a co working facility and I used to complain a lot on Identica about it and I call it cow working well yeah that's what it is um, so <laughs> it, it was it was really bad and actually we've since learned because we have colleagues in other locations by the same company called Green Desk here in in, in Brooklyn and and uh, I guess only in Brooklyn in New York um, we've heard that actually the one the space we had was the absolute worst and we've heard that from multiple sources now and we've actually checked out other other um, yeah locations that have been better and um and, Which, to- and our colleague tony Sebro at conservancy he was frustrated for different reasons than i was and i was frustrated and tony was commuting very far from another part of new york and it it it, it was diminishing returns and frankly it was costing us it was costing us a large amount of money like it, it was it was enough that it was like getting a big donation by leaving the co-working space and going to completely telecommuting. Now, the problem that created for us was for the longest time, Karen and I had been recording the Oddcast in that space. Karen would come see me in that space where I had an office and we either rent the conference room. Actually, I don't think this was the obstacle. I think the obstacle was that I moved house. Also, well, and so I was, I was no get longer to in the neighborhood of, of uh, you know, of Green Desk, yeah. of Green Desk, or yeah. you. So um, yeah. So there's that. There's that as well. We used but, to be much more geographically. Convenient but so so I switched all uh, remote uh, working. I guess telecommuting. Uh, Fontana says telecommuting is no longer a word people use. They say remote work. But whatever. I always just say working from home. Uh, well, that sounds weird. Does I it? Think. I think. Huh. Anyway, okay. so we didn't have a space to record, and so there's all this. Pro- all these are problems, right? So we're actually recording this in my apartment because we we really kind of don't have a lot of option uh, of where to record at this point. And so, um, and there's a weird audio sound that went away. Okay. Um, that was some sort of buzzing. It's probably, there's a, there's actually a car parking lot with those big car elevators. Yeah. Like the, the Mitt Romney, actually not the Mitt Romney styles, Mitt Romney's car elevator is probably better uh, than the elevators that are out there, but that's probably what but it was. But it's pretty quiet here for New York City, except um, for the pugs. Well, for New York City, right? And so <laughs> I have these dogs here, and the dogs are snoring. But we pointed the mics away from the dogs, so hopefully they're not snoring. not coming through. So we solved that. Well, we're just Karen's going to come to my apartment to record. So we solved that problem, and then I went to Karen's house to record a bunch of episodes, and then forgot to bring some of the equipment. And Karen's husband nicely for us the best he could do for a system for us to record, and, and which is pretty good since he's yeah. a Grammy-nominated recording engineer. Yeah, well, but he didn't have the same <laughs> no, kind of equipment didn't. that I did. use because I, I mean he has more advanced equipment. And but ours is pretty what sucks basic. is that he really took the time to do it, and mm. we we set up and everything, and we were all ready. And there was an audio gain issue, and we sent we actually recorded all of the Fosdem twenty thirteen like stuff, yeah, and 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 then that the, we sent it to Dan and Dan uh, Dan producer Dan Lynch, and he said that the audio was unusable. So we think because of a cable. Yeah, well, I think actually, actually, I think it was the gain was set too low. I think the cable was uh, fine, but the cable was doing some sort of gain boost, and I needed to sh- bring the gain way down on the computer. And when I listened to the test, I didn't hear it. And anyway, 
So whatever it was, it didn't work. But we're using two different recording devices. We have a backup recording device, uh, the one running proprietary software, of course. Um, <laughs> but the main recording device is the one that's all free software. And then we have a backup one in case something goes wrong. So now we're hopefully not going to lose this audio. So that happened too. Um, and uh, and then once Karen came on, we've really been working hard to transition everything that I was doing to her. And that's been a lot of work for both of us. And Yeah. So... And so that's we're, we're sorry. So, but the reason we came back today. Yes. Well, we've been meaning to. But the reason we also. picked today, Karen. Yes. Bradley. What is the reason we picked today? Tell our listeners the reason that we picked today. To is come it back. because it's my birthday? No. Because <laughs> we were supposed to record this on Friday, remember? And we're recording on a Monday. Or we're trying to record on Friday. Oh, it's because of the um, the Oracle Google decision. I mean, I, I'm I'm confused by your your. A plum. <laughs> well, it, it, this was a this was a decision in the federal appeals court because uh, Oracle appealed the decision in the lower court, uh, which is being called, I think, incorrectly, the API copyrightability decision. Which I think there's, I think we shouldn't think of it that way. But, I don't know. Okay, well, we'll get into it. But so in the next segment, that's what we're going to discuss, and hopefully, folks will be happy to know that we're going to make a serious effort to be back recording regularly again. Yes, we have a schedule. I won't share what that schedule is in case we fail. But okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we do have it, and we're excited to get going again. Okay. Cool. Okay, so to discuss the decision itself... Um, I would like to start out by saying that it is not an engaging read. It's not well written. It's like if you read the, um, you know, Judge Alsop's opinion, it's actually very well written. It's easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> and you can really it's... tell the difference between it, you know, in, in the decision and how well it's read by how long it takes you, like, to get from page to page. I just felt like, you know, yeah. it's long and it's not written in an engaging way. So I noticed, I didn't actually, to confess, Bradley wrote a blog post about this, but I haven't read the whole thing. I read the first half. <laughs> but in your blog, you say you recommend that everybody read the decision. And I'm sort of like, ah, oh, subjecting 69 pages of uh, boring case law to people is that, well, just, I, well, or, what, or, you know, boring dicta. Well, what I was telling people to avoid in IRC was was when they, in cases where in places where there was twelve cases referenced to skip the case references because they're not going to know those precedents anyway. Most most of our listeners are not going to know these precedents automatically to to be, go read them or whatever. So it's it's a little bit faster if you skip those parts. The main reason I was saying telling people to read it in my blog, I, I was really annoyed, uh, particularly on the day it came out, and since then over the weekend and and. And so forth. Lots of pundits commenting on it. And I doubt any of them have read it. Well, most people are a lot of the ones that I saw said, you know, like the EFF statement saying we're still digging through this long decision. But what we can see quickly is that we're disappointed. And I, I, yeah. I kind of respect that. Like, you know, it's you can't, you know, we we have an oncast that's not published very often. And our listeners are interested in a, you know, a, an in-depth discussion um, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to be now, 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 or otherwise you wouldn't mm -hmm. rely on our podcast for that. Um, and I just think that a lot, there's so much pressure now to make a statement straight away that I think making a statement based on the, you know, a quick skim, it, I, I don't think that as long as you say that's what you're doing and you follow up with a more detailed analysis, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
I, you want to take a bet whether the FF publishes a more detailed analysis? I do not. <laughs> but even if they don't, at least they have some integrity by saying that they haven't read it in detail. True. And I so. don't think there's anything wrong with that because it's just, it, you know, you, it takes a long time to get through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, as you said in your post, that it took you hours to deal yeah. with all the cross-referencing and looking up stuff that well, you had seen. I mean, the biggest thing that... It took that me a long time. I do want to discuss this this issue of fact that I'm concerned about first. Okay. So... Well, I, I also just want to say, so I sort of want to talk about the case, about the decision a little bit from a holistic level. Okay, do that first. Which is that also that I, it's clear in reading the decision that the court doesn't really understand. Like there's a, and I think this might relate to the point that you're, um, you're going to raise, which is that there's some clear indications that the court is really out of its element. It's out of its element, Donnie. I mean, um, <laughs> is that what you're saying to the no, federal I, appeals court? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that, that there are a lot of things like there was this one quote in it that said, um, you know, when talking about the GPL, it describes it as free of charge and provides that the licensee can use the packages, but must contribute back its innovations to the public. This arrangement is referred to as an open source license. It was just like, you know, sort of like there's no nuance there. There are mistakes. Right. Well, yeah, that's that, clearly not wrong about quite, what GPL is. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, you know, and it's just kind of an aside and it's just one hint, you know, it's sort of like when you read things, kind of like reading the New York times, which I used to think was, um, you know, was sort of a definitive source for things. And then when you start to read in areas that you're very familiar with, you see that they make a lot of mistakes and then you sort of realize, uh, you know, what mistakes are they making in the areas that I'm not familiar with? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like reading that when you, when I looked at the, this decision, there were multiple points throughout the entire decision where the decision just sort of felt out of step with how, um, you know, how at least I understand, uh, you know, the situation to be. Yeah, but I'm used to that. Most lawyers don't understand this stuff, right? I guess I'm used to, to uh, other than you and a few others, I'm used to talking to lawyers who really don't understand. And so I'm not, I guess maybe it bothers me less because I think you're unique in that you're a lawyer who actually understands this technology. And most lawyers don't. Most everything I've ever read about technology written by lawyers is just wrong. It's just wrong on various points. And so I'm, I guess I, I guess I read past that because I'm so used to it. Even know. A- I mean, I made some... mistakes. I mean, I, I mean, which everybody, including me, lauded his decision. He made mistakes about various technical facts as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I. I don't think they were as pertinent as the mistakes made here. I agree, but yeah, I mean, there were a I'm lot used to of mistakes. fundamental <laughs> misstep or or misconnections. And usually, usually when when we're talking about technical decisions in this kind of context, the the mistakes are more just glossing over. It's sort of a, I'm not going to deal with the details of some of this stuff because I don't fully understand them, but I've learned the particular points that they're selling it to this particular situation. And here's where, where they, you know, here's where that cuts in the decision. And here it just seems like there is some more significant, um, disconnect, but I don't know. I mean, that, that, that was sort of my take. And then I just sort of wanted to also mention that, um, you know, that, that I, there, the reaction has been, I, I haven't seen, I've I've seen some of the reactions that have come out that you're referring to, and and some of them are highly entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Like um, Parker at EFF, Parker Higgins, he tweeted, but oh boy, the Federal Circuit are really making the Supreme Court look like a genius bar. (laughs) I don't don't even know what that means. So he's saying saying that the Federal Circuit is making the Supreme Court look like they're somehow affiliated with Apple? I don't understand. I mean, it's funny for a lot of reasons because it doesn't assume that the, it's basically saying that the genius bar is 
it's a very I, really I'm gonna have to explain this. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, I, like I, I, obviously he doesn't think the genius bar. He didn't say geniuses. He said genius bar, which is hilarious. And then the fact that it's bar. Yeah. It's so funny because I, it's bar I, like. The legal bar and bar, like the genius bar at the Apple store. And, you know, obviously the, the genius bar is not full of geniuses. But compared to, you know, like compared to your other tech help you might get, there are geniuses. Yeah, I, I mean, I anyway, think, I I think it's going to be really easy for, for this is this is the concern I have. And, and I think I made this mistake, too, looking at Alsop's decision back when it came out. And I'm trying not to make that mistake anymore. That This whole question of copyrightability of things uh, related to software is more nuanced than mm. everybody's making it out to be. And, and, and there, and nobody's really discussing it in ways that is all that useful. I, I and even I, I read back went back and read my blog post from Alslip's decision. And I didn't even deal with this issue when I read that decision, which is that the, the question of what, what is copyrighted with regard to an API is complicated. Yes. And Alslip didn't talk about it in, in the level of detail he needed to, and neither did this court. And so mm-hmm. neither of them are actually talking about the, comp- the complex issue. So none of this is a decision about a complex issue that we think it's about. That's that's my concern. Well, and I don't know. I mean, it's about this particular situation evaluated by this particular court, right? And I think that's the thing. We, we've talked about this on the Oddcast when we've talked about court decisions before, particularly when we talked about Bilski and, and other court decisions, that th- these precedents or so-called precedents that get set are never about a general question of something. They're about a specific set of facts and given that specific set of facts, what, how does the law and the known precedents in this particular system apply to it? Now what's different here is that, or what's interesting here is that when we, that the tests that the courts apply are different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So, that's because of a circuit split in the US. Right. right, well exactly. And so, and this hits on that point. Well, yeah, because they mentioned the abstraction filtration test, which they don't use, nobody uses in this district, so they right. It. Well, they're right. Well, they're compelled to use the Ninth Circuit, right? So uh, because of the way that the case came in, but but what's interesting is that should this go to the Supreme Court, then there could be some guidance that would help with that district split. Okay, so I I agree that's with where that. this case could be very very interesting because there's but it's not going to go to the Supreme Court because it's been remanded. That's that is see that that's the is, that's the big issue of the outcome is that uh, and and my conclusion in my blog post is that this doesn't tell us anything because they remanded the case back to the lower court primarily to get a jury decision. Now, now the thing people might forget is that the way this got to this court. We should probably walk people through how how this got in front mm-hmm. of this court in the first place. Because uh, right, we meant to record the original, we were meant to record an, an episode on the first decision, and we never did. Oh, we never did. I okay. don't think we did. Anyway, I think we talked about so, it a lot. So, so Alslip, um, who was the the federal, so, so okay. First of all, in the United States, all copyright issues are federal. So it didn't come through some state courts in California. It, it went right to the Northern District of California, the federal court in Cal in the area where San Francisco is, basically um, the Bay Area, and. That judge heard a case that was about multiple issues, copyrights and patents both, uh, as well as various other disputes uh, involved around those issues. 
on the copyright questions. The judge instructed the jury, and actually, the, 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 another thing you should read is that I linked to it in my blog post, and it'll be in the show notes as well, the, the jury charge, what the judge told the jury to think about. The judge told the jury to assume that, quote, APIs were copyrightable. Uh, whatever that might mean. So they didn't have to consider, because juries are never supposed to consider a question of law. They're only supposed to consider a question of facts. People people who deal with juries are allowed to say, juries are fact finders. And and that's basically true, that they're, they're supposed to look at facts and take instructions from the court about what the law is, and then decide if these facts mean that the law, in a criminal case, the law was broken, in a civil case like this, whether the law says that there was infringement going on uh, with regard to Google's uh, impo- alleged infringement of Oracle's copyrights, originally Sun's copyrights. So th- that the, the jury went to decide if Google had infringed the copyrights of Oracle slash Sun. And in doing that, they were told, just assume that all this stuff is copyrightable. Don't, don't, you're not supposed to consider any questions of copyrightability. After the jury made a decision, and the jury's decision was that it was copyright infringement, uh, but that they couldn't come to a conclusion about whether or not that copyright infringement was fair use. Which, as a side point, Karen, do you want to explain why it's looked at that way? Like, explain what an affirmative defense is and fair use? I mean, I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, yeah, so I don't really remember. want to repeat it. But uh, just you mean like just about the um, the fact that so if you um, so so basically the idea is that fair use is not something that is a an exception. Um, to whether something is covered by, you know, is something is copyrightable. It's basically an issue of um, if it is copyrightable, you know, and I would have been infringing, I have an exception and can say I have a defense. So, so even, even if I was infringing, I am, you know, I have an exception of fair use. And we have this, um, this exception of fair use in the United States, which basically works with free speech to sort of say there are situations where, um, where it's okay to use work that's copyrighted, um, in order to, um, you know, to, to advance certain, um, you know, for certain reasons, like, for example, in issues of parody and, um, and for education for certain circumstances and things like that, which, um, which basically preserve our, um, you know, our, our culture of free speech and our ability to criticize and our ability to, um, to learn. Um, and then there's also a component of fair use for, um, interoperability. And so there's, there's a lot of things that, um, that sort of are, are, are captured in this fair use, um, Defense, which is really just a defense, which I think is what you're yeah. referring to. Um, and over time, we found that fair use, which used to be very, very strong, has gotten you know sort of weaker and weaker over time. And um, and actually, the EFF has done a really good job at this. It's sort of pointing out the areas where fair use should be stronger. Um, and you know, and I, I largely agree with them. I mean, I'm sort of um, in an interesting camp because I, I'm sort of you know, and I think Bradley is too. We're sort of we're we're in a funny place on a lot of this copyright mm-hmm. stuff because we want. Uh, you know, we want creative expression to be shared more freely, uh, but we have this system of copyright as it is. Mm-hmm. And so we are sort of in the situation where we have to evaluate um, these rules as they come out and you have to sort of separate them from your overarching attitude. I sort of experience this constantly in like sort of this conflicted viewpoint of, of what is right based mm-hmm. on how it affects the current system mm-hmm. and um, and then how the overall system is in relation to a system that I would prefer, yeah. which is one of more sharing. Well, before, before, Sorry, I, I, I took it a little bit further afield. I, I want to expo- just explain. So 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 Google makes what's called an affirmative defense saying that, that even, and it's an argument, we've talked about argument in the alternative. 
Google's primary argument, and I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, was that they were not infringing any copyright. But if the jury found that they were infringing copyright, their argument in the alternative was, if we were infringing copyright, there are various affirmative defenses we could have used, including things like the merger doctrine, which is talked about in this, and fair use. The only affirmative defense the jury couldn't come to a conclusion on was fair use. They said, we can't decide. And they were hung on that question of was Google, they said, Google is infringing. And then they said, if they were infringing, was it fair use? Uh, it was, was the fair use defense valid? And the jury couldn't come to a decision, which in some sense is, uh, is what this court is most upset about in some sense, because they, they're remanding it for that jury to go consider that affirmative defense again. Well, I don't know. I mean, the court pretty much disagrees with, um, you know, with the entire opinion. Right. So well, 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 uh, well, the, saying that they're clear, most upset about that is to, a, to be is clear. The entire opinion in this context is the opinion of the lower court of Al Slip's uh, decision. And my dog has just come onto my lap, which I forgot would, <laughs> would add audio. Um, but uh, the the lower court she wants to be a star because <laughs> of the lower court's decision that was Al Slip's decision that came out and said, well, even though the jury decided that it was infringement, I'm going to rule that, quote, APIs are not copyrightable, which is uh, an oversimplified way of saying it. But basically, he said that the, the thing that Google is alleged to have infringed was not copyrightable anyway. Therefore, there was no copyright infringement, because if it's not copyrightable, you can't infringe something that's not copyrightable. And so that's where we were left when it came to the appeals court. And the appeals court did overturn that part of the ruling, saying that his decision was not correct in ruling that. And they walked through the various affirmative defenses that were given and said why, as a matter of law, those affirmative defenses can never be successful. Right. Except for fair use, because they left that alone, because the jury never even decided on fair use. So they, they sort of made hints about how fair use could be used as a defense uh, in a case like this. But never said. Now, now, the thing that bugs me the most, and I want to talk about this because uh, I've been, I haven't gotten a chance in this discussion to say, is I think they don't understand what an API is, and I think probably Alslip didn't either. And what, I bet that's true. And what I've come to a conclusion is, is that is that there are base. I think that you need to delineate three different things that a programmer will think of as an API. And this, by the way, is, is exclusive material, not in my blog post because I didn't think <laughs> of this till after I read the blog post. So there really are three things that I think of when I think of what is an API. There's the thing that I think most people are, are most people believe we're talking about when we say our API is copyrightable, which uh, is this general concept of what the API does, which notwithstanding the arguments this court made over merger doctrine, I don't think it's copyrightable. The idea of the API, what it does, what its semantics are in the abstract. I don't think that, that you can ever say that's copyrightable. Okay. So, because that's an idea, it's not an expression of the idea. Then there are two ways that you typically express the idea of an API. The first one is you actually write an implementation of it. And I think no one's going to dispute that your implementation of an API is copyrightable. glibc is a copyrighted implementation of the C library standard API. And if you put glibc into your work, you're infringing copyright and, and no one's disputing that. Um, then there's the specification of the API, which is a list of, uh, I think what they call, what they call in the decision, they call it function declarations or a list of declarations and a dis documentation description describing the semantics. So that's the spec, right? And so if you go read POSIX, you get the spec of the C library. Um, and I think these th three things are different. 
And when you do, a, I think, a copyrightability and a copyright infringement analysis of an API, you have to consider these three things separately. And I don't think any of these decisions have done that. And that's what I think the fundamental problem is. In fact, I think this decision cheats in the sense that they use a fact not in, not agreed to to say it's copyright. Specifically, Google denies in the jury charge, it's summarized in the jury charge, but, but, but the jury charge is summarizing what happened at trial. And it's saying Google denies infringing any copyright. Google says they didn't copy the stuff from Oracle, except for range check. They agreed to copy range check, but range check is moot on this issue because it's not about the API. Right, it's a separate, um, issue. separate issue. So the issue being appealed is- And the, range check, it's just there. So there are two, there are two major issues being uh, at, at issue in this case. Range check was like eight, nine lines of code, code something like that, where- It was a little more than that, but-, uh, but yeah, was, 13, but, something like yeah. that, where uh, 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 an employee seemingly accidentally copied a, a, it wholesale. So it's sort of separate from this whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, it was, it was a former Sun employee who then worked for Google and all that sort of stuff. But right. that's, I mean, that's, that's but it's moot. such a minor part. And of it's also speech. moot here because yeah. that wasn't part of the API. Right. Um, it was an implementation of a API function. The, the claim that they assume in this case, because they say it multiple times, that Google agreed they copied verbatim. They say that over and over again. Google agreed they copied verbatim from Sun's implementation, from Sun's code. They, they didn't. And in fact, I talked in detail with Mark Waylard, who is known for a lot of work on ClassPath. He, mm -hmm. He's spent many years working on getting ClassPath re-implementing this same API and said, none of us do. None of us have ever copied from the API. In fact, we all went, we were all really careful not to. And when IBM implemented Harmony, which is where this code actually comes from because it's not actually originally Google's, um, they, no one copied. There's no evidence, as far as I can tell. I don't that know. Somebody I mean, copied we don't have from, the whole record. Or I haven't looked so carefully in everything. I mean, I so I'm a little tempted but to sort the, of focus on that so frankly, wholeheartedly. Karen, the fact that, that this decision doesn't even mention that Google got much of this API code from a third party, which I had forgotten until Mark reminded me about, mm. that much of this came from Har Apache's Harmony project. Yeah. The, to me, that says, wait a second, they, they didn't look into the question, to any factual question, which is not surprising because a court is not supposed well, to look into factual questions. You know, Google but, may also have not focused on this. You know, they may have framed the question in a way that they had, you know. Well, Google just denied that so, they copied, right? And that was never disputed well, by Oracle. in that particular thing that you saw, but we don't have any of the other volume of materials I and what they stipulated to in terms find of the saying Google said, I, I'm sure, can you imagine Google would have said I that? I just don't know. It's not in the jury charge, right? So the jury didn't consider the question. I don't think the jury, the jury assumed that it, the, the, the API quote unquote was copyrightable. But the thing is, is that, is that the, the API is not one thing. It's, it's a series of things. There's the implementation of the API. There's the specification. There's the idea of the API. We should ask, we should get one of the Google lawyers onto our podcast. I think they're no, not going to talk about <laughs> ongoing litigation. I thought for a little while that we were going to get one lawyer from each side onto our podcast because I, we knew that. I, I, and I knew now you they're were both trying. formerly working on, they, they're both former lawyers on the case. So maybe we can get them. The one on the Oracle side texted me and said, see, I told you this, the, the right decision would come out. Um, but the thing is, is that it's based on a fact that is just a fact, not an evidence, really. I mean, it's, uh, as far as I can tell, Google, and, and I think the problem is that, that there's, and this, I said this in my blog post, that no one's considering the question of if you go and independently implement the same API, like if I describe an API to you, Karen, and then we both go and implement it, mm -hmm. our, our function header and declaration is going to be very similar. 
And the question then becomes, was, is that, is that a, a, a copyright infringement by you? So I had the idea of the API and I'm working. I said, oh, I'm working on this great, I, I, for example. I mean, the courts have generally suppose, found, yes, suppose like I if, was you, working if you on, are exposed to some copyrighted material and you go away and you incorporate some of it um, into your, you know, it's sort of, and, and you deliberately bring you know, copy things that have been in your memory into. But suppose I suppose I describe to you an API that, that maybe I'm working on for say nonprofit accounting, and I tell you. Oh, what a hypothetical! Uh, if I tell you one of one of the the functions in that API, I think we're going to have to have is um, the ability to get um, all transactions by um, a specific uh, entity vendor. Right. And that that's going to be one of the queries you can do. Right. And, and I say, well, that, that, but that's going to be more generalized. And I describe to you the, the, you know, the, 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 the general API of it. And we talk about it. Right. And, and then we both go off and implement it. Like, of course, I haven't fixed that in a tangible medium anyway. Right. Cause I'm just telling you about it. Mm-hmm. And then we both go off and implement it. Um, is that infringement? And, and if, and if we both end up with the same function headers because we, we, we specify the API so clearly, or if you just read the specification of an API and then went and implemented it, I think that's an interesting question. I, I don't know. I don't think the courts have given us an answer to that. Um, it, I would be surprised. I would have think that I would have thought that if there was a case for that, um, say Unix, uh, the copyright holders of Unix, which SCO claimed to be for a while, would have brought a case against GNU, brought a case against the FSF, saying you re-implemented the Unix API. Well, um, right, all of this is extremely fact dependent, is the problem, right? And so, or a situation dependent. I'm actually, I, I, I was thinking that if, and if the court really mischaracterized, you know, what Google did, then Google is surely putting out a statement saying so. So have you looked? I'm no, they haven't. I mean, I mean, Google's the thing is, is that why would Google's not going to do that? I don't think because I think Google's going to wait for the new jury to think about the fair use question. And and the thing is, if it's declared I don't know. fair if use, like we're a done. Factual mischaracterization of of what they've done. I would be really surprised if they didn't put out some kind of statement because well, that's kind of that, a big deal. It is a big deal. I don't know why. I don't know why they haven't. But it's clear. It's clear to me that they didn't copy. Right. I, I mean, I, I talked to Mark in great detail about this. Right. He's it's implemented so the strongly stated in this decision. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'd love I to find out more. I think they're the fair use question. So I, but the thing is, is that if, if I take that as a hypothetical, so I actually view this as a decision based on a hypothetical. And I think if someone actually copies from your code, their decision makes sense to me. If, if you make the assumption that somebody took, if Google, if the, if the, if the, if the court's looking at this in terms of Google engineers sat there and copy, which is no, nowhere near what happened, but the hypothetical they've instructed in their mind is that Google engineers downloaded the Oracle code and sat there and copied each function header into their own and then fleshed it out from there, which they clearly didn't do because they got it from a third party anyway and it was already under the Apache license and all this other stuff. Yeah. But, um, it, let's, let's pretend this hypothetical is true. I actually think the, the, some of the arguments this decision makes are pretty good. You know, I actually found the found the decision much more reasonable than I had expected to upon seeing the, you know, mm-hmm. when I read the summary at the beginning and when mm-hmm. I read the case. I mean, a part of it is that these these questions, in part, there's the circuit split, and in part, these decisions, as you said, are, or these situations are quite complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it I didn't like at all. Some of it was not compelling at but all. Which parts did you think were uncompelling? Oh, like the, the short phrases part where... Where they refer to uh, the tale of two cities, you know. Yeah, it was the best of decisions. It was the worst uh, 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 of decisions. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it just sort of like I found that to be like really weird. 
because it basically compares these headers to like works of literature and in a very like definitive and uncompelling way. So that's one one area. Um, the other that I I found was that or the sense affair analysis was just like so brief and also not compelling. Yeah, I, the, the, the there's com- no analysis there. It really mm-hmm. surprised me because they those the whole decision was so freaking long and they couldn't take an extra couple of paragraphs to really develop that argument so we understood why they had come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. It was bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I, I was more impressed, I guess, with the, the merger doctrine. Um, oh, well, the, I found that to be the, the, very, compelling. very interesting. Why? Well, yeah. I, I th- and I think that, that, that I, I think they're correct. I mean, I think that decision is correct, is that, is that the merger doctrine was about when Oracle first implemented it, not when Google re-implemented it. Yeah, it was a really interesting characterization <coughs> of the legal issue. And it made a lot of sense. Yeah, like I mean, you, know, you should look at the situation when the uh, when the the creator, the original um, you know creator of copyright the, holder. Copy, well, but actually, no. I mean, it's sort of this is saying when the creator created it, the copyright holder I, I'm, holds. I'm making the, the same rejection to the ter- to using the term creator. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I oh, mean, I, I, I wasn't endowed by Oracle with inalienable rights. See, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that that Stallman yeah. terminology point is the weakest of all of it. I, mean, I don't know. Coming I, I kind in of question, you know, create in a question copyright. Author. We've got original our, author. Our, but that doesn't work for every area of. It does work for copyright. It copyright. Does, oh, absolutely. So we're talking right. about copyright. So they were the Oracle's the author, right? They write down the stuff. And the merger doctrine. It doesn't always work for copyright. Okay. Right? Because you have like artists. And... Yeah. I, and okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I find that to be ridiculous. Okay. Anyway, when the original copyrights were, were fixed <laughs> in the tangible medium, right. that's when you do the merger doctrine as far as did they have a right. choice. Right. Not when the infringer did right. their work. Right. And, and so. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it sort of says that there's no interoperability argument under merger doctrine, which is probably okay. I, I'm not bothered. See this, and this is where I get to the fact that I'm not afraid necessarily of copyright becoming stricter. Copyright's becoming stricter all the time. It bothers me as a general policy matter. But on the other hand, we've chosen in the free software world to use copyright as a way to defend free software through copyleft. Now, there were people already on my blog disagreeing with me, commenting, saying that you know, I'm, I, the usual BSD style arguments of I'm against freedom because I believe that uh, mm. a restrictive license like copyleft is, is, is appropriate. And they think proprietary software and copylefted software are the same. And I don't really have any bone to pick with people who believe that. I, I have a bone to pick with people who think proprietary software is somehow more friendly or more useful than copyleft. Oh, that's, that's the position of the Apache Software Foundation these days. Um, I haven't. Anyway. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's on their website. I mean, they basically believe the copyleft. Well, there's is, some old language yeah. on their website. Oh, no. This is new oh, from the new. open office stuff. Uh, ah. There's a whole page on open office and how open office is so much better than LibreOffice because it's uh, because it's, it's not copyleft. And copyleft <laughs> is such an attack on everything. Wow. I yeah. should read that. Yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah. I used it. It was in my talk. Oh, you were in my talk. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, I actually heard something in your talk, but I thought it was older yeah, no, for some no. reason. Um, gotcha. it's, it's recent. Um, I mean, it's recent in the last few years, but, uh, but those people, the, the open BSD crowd, which believe that copyleft is just as bad as proprietary. Okay. That's, uh, that's a, a reasonable and consistent moral position that I happen to disagree with. Um, but given that if you do believe copyleft, it's not necessarily a bad thing if copyright law gets stricter. I mean, we don't want, we, it's, it's a push and pull, right? Because if it gets too strict, then we can't do anything. 
because we can't even re-implement APIs from scratch. Like GNU ClassPath somehow is infringing, even though Oracle has distributed GNU ClassPath at this point. So therefore, if they've distributed it, they've granted permission, even if they did have copyrights, which is kind of interesting. I mean, um, I think a lot of it is just that we'll have to do our, our own versions of things um, and we'll have to make sure they're really, really good and become the standards, right? Like that's... I, I mean, and that's, that's the things like happens, Python and then we'll and Perl, basically yeah. make them as permissive as we need to. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll draft the licenses accordingly. And this is a reason why having something like, you know, GPLVX plus uh, makes a mm. lot of sense because decisions like this come along. I don't even know how this is going to stand in relation to our copyright law generally. Mm. But as decisions come on patents and copyrights, being able to upgrade licenses is very important. Oh, that's an interesting point. So like if this became too strict such that it messes with Linux yes. in a way, that's a great yes. point. That, that basically Linux being GPLv2 only and, and GPLv2 being very strict with regard to copyrights. Um, now there is the text in GPLv2 about copyright interfaces. And I don't know whether... Mm. I don't know whether that would apply in this decision or That's not. It'd be a tough, tough thing to look at. Mm. Um, but I think your point is really valid that, that Linux has sort of shot itself in the foot by being consisting on being V2 only. I mean, presumably, if there were some major problem, then copyright holders would band together, but it would be tough to get everybody to agree at this point. I think we could. I, I think we could relicense Linux if we wanted to. And I've told Ted Cho this, I've told everybody this, that, that if we, if, if the will were there by the majority of the copyright holders, getting the minority together, and we've done, you and I have done this before yes. for projects. It's a lot of work, but it could be done. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just that having the, your license upgradable like this helps to protect against the situation provided that you trust the party that can upgrade the license. Right. It's in, but of course, uh, the funny part is, is that the FSF is the only license authority who doesn't take the automatic upgrade, uh, who lets the, the, the copyright holder have the automatic upgrade decision. Actually, I was talking to Kat Walsh uh, about this uh, when I saw her recently and she was saying, and I, I feel really uh, bad. I should have uh, checked it out already by now, but she was saying that the auto upgrade isn't in, um, in the creative commons license. Well, unless they change it, it's, it's in three. It's worth looking at. I, I'm okay. not sure. It's in 3.0. Um, maybe they removed maybe it. Maybe it's more nuanced than we had thought it was, or I thought I had nope. looked at it a while I, I ago, looked at but 3. the way she recently. said it, I, you know, and she, and Kat's really good. So. I just upgraded 3.0 <laughs> works to 4.0 and I checked uh -huh. all this and it has an auto upgrade clause, in which was helpful to me in 3.0. In 3.0. To get to 4.0. Okay. Um, and I didn't see anything specific. Well, it's definitely about. worth looking at. Yeah. So, but I think generally speaking, auto upgrade clauses are a good idea. And the reason is, is because copyright law changes, which is what we're seeing here. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, we're not seeing that here. Well, I think that just to finish on that point, I think that actually that shows that the FSF has a lot of integrity by not making it an auto upgrade. I agree. I just, I think it's, as a side point, I think it's really horrible that people are so critical of FSF publishing new licenses and what it says in new licenses and encouraging people to use our later when all the other license authorities insist upon it. Well, one of the good and it's bad... It's like, you don't use it, let us decide your next version. Well, one of the, I mean, I mean, it's, it's good and bad about the FSF. I mean, the FSF is generally more radical as an organization than a lot of these other organizations are. And so I think it's really cool that the FSF says, well, we'll, you know, you can choose to meta license in a way that upgrades it, but our licenses will stand alone. And it's in part because I think there is some nervousness that the FSF will go, um, you know, will be a little bit more radical than people choosing the license will be. And I think that's really cool. I mean, that's part of, I mean, part of why I really like GPLv3 is this ability to grant additional permissions, which sort of acknowledges, you know, is an acknowledgement by the FSF that not everybody will want to take every single provision that's in the um, Yeah, but, but people, the haters say that's not good enough anyway. Yeah, but I because I, because you can remove them downstream, and so you can go back to the original. But license. that's always true. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you can make you could make them sticky. 
you could say that they can never be removed once they've been given. I mean, you could have the license tech say that. I mean, I think that'd be dumb policy, but that's basically Wait, the argument that GPLV. If that, you grant additional permissions, I mean, that's still always the case where if you're oh, granting no. under a more permissive well, what license, what they argue down is that, is that it's a, it's a trap. So Ted Cho has argued to me he believes it's a trap the FSF set to convince the Linux developers to switch to a, a GPLv3 with an exception for the lockdown, so that then the FSF can convince a bunch of developers to fork. Linux under and remove the exception. But it, that doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't. That's okay. Ted Cho's argument. I, I mean, I'm not saying I agree okay, with, I mean, with Ted Cho. I mean, that's a tactical one, but not a legal and, argument. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that... It's a policy argument. I think it's really cool that the that the license all, like already contemplates additional permissions. I mean, and I think this is one of the things that the FSF has done that's been really cool, acknowledging sort of the FSF's radical position and that not everyone will want to be on, you know, exactly with them and ways of, of letting people choose what they're comfortable with. So I, I actually think that's really cool. Oh, so you're looking at the CC. Yeah, that's fine. Don't, don't, yeah. Well, this is none of this is about this case. So. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, you were saying about this particular case because I, I interrupted you. Um, I don't remember what I was saying. So I, I think, I think that, um, I, I think, I think people should read it and I think that it's, it's okay. I, I don't, I don't think that we need to worry so much in part because it's remanded and, and I don't think we have to think about this again until the, they have a new jury that's going to consider the fair use question. I think it's actually, Somewhat good that it worked out this way because the jury, the new jury will have to consider the fair use question basically by itself. Mm. And I think the other jury was get thrown a lot of different issues. Remember, the other juries had to decide both the patent and the copyright issues. That's right. And so they had so much in front of them and they were probably sequestered for a very long time. And I don't know how people end up in this situation. I mean, how people can survive in this situation because most employers don't. I guess you, we'll see this, but it just it, so, it worries me because we've seen just such an eroding of fair use, and it's so essential. I mean, a, a strong fair use defense is, I think, essential to a free society. Yeah, um, but I think this this court was slyly saying the fair use defense is the right one. I you said that, and I'm I'm really not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm really not sure, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, and the thing—the thing that's not that bad about this decision is, since it's based on this fact that's not even true—that that Google actually copied something from Oracle. What they're kind of saying is that there's a high bar that you have to meet if you're going to declare yourself not infringing if you copy something from somebody else, even if it's a small amount of of text. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't think Google actually copied any text. So, so I mean, at least Google didn't admit it. So, um, and I think it's probably unlikely that they did that literally copy text. But this is really focused about cut and pasting. If you cut, if you bring material, copyrighted material from another work into your work, uh, you probably are infringing copyright. I mean, that's sort of what this decision says. And I don't, I'm not too bothered by that because Everybody in the free software world is incredibly careful about yeah, never copying anybody else's stuff. I think that's an oversimplification stuff. of the decision, but um, but okay. I mean, I don't... Well, the reason it's oversimplified is because you have to assume that all of their deciding is based on this incorrect fact, because they didn't think nuanced about it. I just think you're making so much of it. I don't know. I don't they know. say it over I guess and over we'll again. We'll I found see, it like 12 times they we'll said, see, Google we'll copied verbatim. We'll see what happens. I mean, it I, says, says right there, Google, Google conceded that it copied it verbatim in the jury instructions, which is not in the jury instructions. That they copied the declaring code verbatim. I think what's didn't copy really verbatim. interesting is that this decision is so far on the other side of the spectrum from the lower court decision. Like, this is like a perfect example of some of the tension in the U.S. court system and the legal mm-hmm. system generally. And, you know, one of the things that the decision says explicitly is that 
is that software doesn't fit well. This is something that we've talked about. Actually, I remember when we did the Software Freedom Law Show, one of our first shows, we talked a lot about this, that software doesn't fit cleanly in the um, the legal regime set up mm-hmm. to, you know, it doesn't fit cleanly in copyright. It doesn't fit cleanly in um, in patent. Mm-hmm. And so it's like trying to, to, to shoehorn it into these systems and then it's quite awkward. And I think part of it is that a lot of, you know, lawyers and judges don't understand uh, you know, the technology in detail. But also it's really interesting because even the things that people do understand quite closely, the, you know, the opinions are so far on, you know, if you look at the, the two decisions and put them side by side, it's fascinating that, you know, that smart people who have been, you know, who are in the position of, of writing opinions and who are writing legal decisions constantly can find so differently on the same points. Yeah, and that's although why we have they don't really understand software. To the extent that the Supreme Court takes on... I mean, that's the thing, is they don't understand software yeah. in the way they might understand other things. And that's why we have these crummy legal regimes to address it. So I, I, I think people shouldn't be that concerned about it. If you're seeing a lot of, if you're seeing a lot of stuff of people saying that this is, oh, somehow this is this big thing, I mean, people are just making hay about it. It's remanded, and most court cases like this are just going to go on and on and not actually going to conclude. I mean, I, I think this is a mistake I made with Bilski was I thought that, that somehow that was actually going to decide a question. It didn't decide anything. And I, it was very disappointing, <laughs> but, but no, I just learned that, that, that these court cases don't really decide anything. And sometimes, it's not until we bring a case. They do. That, sometimes they do. So, I mean, not since, not since like Brown versus board education or some sort of major I don't know. policy I mean, question. I'm not, I'm not such a, like this, this Supreme court is a wonk that I can really refer to different decisions, but that's, that's not true. I don't, I mean, name, name a decision. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm okay. Not, so, so, so maybe the gay marriage decision. There, there are a lot of decisions, changed a lot but of I, I'm not as, you know, I'm not necessarily as familiar with the legal. But see, I, I, here, here's what, here's, here's something I've been thinking a lot since the gay marriage decisions happened, which is that until you have two people who have morally opposed beliefs going through a court case, you can't really set up a court case. Cause we talk right. about this is interesting because this is two companies. Right. Right. That's my point. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It's it's not like it's not like the test case that a lot of nonprofits bring on right. an ideological issue to get it to the result. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like how Rosa Parks was not the first woman that was, um, you know, that that sat on the bus and she was the third. Uh, but she was the one who was able to go through all of the, the court cases and the legal stuff that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was the right test case. And so yeah. that's why she's the one. And it's, you know, you sort of, a lot of nonprofits do this. They wait and they, they look for the right fact pattern, sometimes trying to create the right fact patterns. And that's smart because it, you know, it frames the issue closely to the, the issue that actually needs to be decided, not an accident of, you know, what has happened in the world. Right. And I think that, I think that's, that's why the, it, I mean, people have said this to me. It's just a dispute between two companies in the end. And, and if it were, if it were actually an argument about, public good, right? Because it's not an argument about public good. Um, as you say, the GNU General Public License is mentioned in there. And in fact, um, Google could, and I, I have to say this to Google, Google could GPL everything and all would be fine, mm. right? I, I mean, they could end the case today by GPLing all of Android. Um, they don't want to do that because they want proprietary applications on Android. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, in some sense, that's the only reason that, that this fight is going on is yeah. because Google wants people to be able to write proprietary applications on Android. And uh, people who say I'm too I'm apologist for Google, I'll say that clearly, <laughs> right? It's not, it, it, if Google were just going to make a stand for all free software freedom forever, 
um, we'd be done because they would GPL it and say we're going to all, all Android applications now have to be GPL'd. And that would be the answer. I think that's the answer that they should do. I mean, I if, I, if I were in charge of Google, that's what I would do. But that's why I'm not in charge of a for-profit company. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good place to end it. Right? I mean. So write your letters to, Google, your letters to Google, encouraging them to just GPL everything <laughs> and end, the, end this madness and we'll all be fine. Um, and they won't do it. Um, I haven't even suggested it to my colleagues at Google because I know it's they're not going to do it. You could do it if you want to entertain them. There are, there are people at Google. I, I think Jeremy Allison would agree with me that they should just do that. Oh, well, <laughs> there are individuals there are at Google, individuals but none of them Google. are the deciding people. Yeah. <laughs> none of them are the people who can decide about Android's licensing. Well, and Google <laughs> is very savvy about its policy decisions and about its license choices, and it consciously does. You know, It's not like no one has thought of this before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and actually, um, Mark Waylard, one last thing I'll say before we finish is Mark Waylard actually wished they had talked about ClassPath more in their defense. Um, they mentioned it a few times in the case. Um, but it's a good example of a re-implementation done because actually ClassPath isn't purely GPL either. It's GPL plus the ClassPath exception, which I once uh, encouraged RMS to dub the least GPL because it's right. uh, such a huge exception. Right. Um, but in this case, Oracle could be arguing that ClassPath is infringing their copyrights by the same arguments they're saying Google is. The ClassPath team isn't worried about it in part because Google, I'm sorry, Oracle itself has shipped ClassPath under the ClassPath license. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to, uh, to argue that somehow they didn't give that license. Um, but it would have been more interesting. It would have been interesting if Google had used more of that in their defense. Yeah. Um, uh, because I don't, I mean, maybe they would want to switch Android to GPL plus the ClassPath exception because that, yeah, that actually would still allow proprietary applications. Yeah. I'm curious to see how all this plays out. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, but again, it's just two companies fighting. I mean, that's, I mean, how is it that interesting? The people who win in this case really are the, are these wealthy law firm lawyers who are just billing these litigation hours. I mean, the, that's who the winners are. Yep. I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm really, you know, I really like our legal system in many ways because there's a path for, um, for these cases to go and appeals. But the problem is, is that, you know, in order to properly access them, you need to have access to well, lawyers. It's because lawyers expect to get rich. I mean, most lawyers expect to get rich. You're such an exception. I've really screwed up on that one. <laughs> well, you could have been, right? I mean, and I could have gotten rich by getting a job at Google, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm a software developer that could have gotten rich a different way, and you're a lawyer who could have gotten rich a different way, but we didn't want to get rich. But the point is, is that a lot of people went to law school to get rich. Yeah. And a lot of people go to computer science school now to get rich. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's with anything, you know? It's, well, anything with, ends up being highly paid. See, developers are paid too much. Lawyers are paid too much. I'll say both of you well, get I'll too say, much if money. If you're listening and you think you're paid too much, please give a donation to the nonprofits in our space. Yeah, it's Software Freedom Conservancy <laughs> would accept your donations. But I think you're paid too much and I think you should make a donation. But that's why Karen's in charge of fundraising now. Uh, you guys should make a donation. Yeah, because that's too, my, my statement is, is browbeating you and, and I, I realize that. Yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for, um, for sticking with our show when we've had such a big hiatus. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we didn't even announce a hiatus, which is the No, worst thing. and we're sorry. Okay. All right, next time. Reason Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Reason Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Reason Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. 
Links can be found on the Free as in Freedom website, faith.us. That's F-A-I-F.us. I mean, are you saying that it's the topic that we're... Yes, that's okay. what I'm trying okay, to get I'm, you to I'm introduce. I'm a little bit confused as to why the you topic. want me to. Oh, I want you to introduce the, the topic. Oracle v. Google case came out um, in... Well, uh, what? The Federal Appeals Court yeah. decided that... And, and my dogs are very upset about this decision. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Alfie. <laughs> Alfie, come here. Come here. Oh, we're still ro- we're still recording. We're still rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>